Dear Heavenly Father, that is uh, such a great prayer. What a great song as we as we prepare to open your word just to the reality that everything about us should be desiring of honoring and glorifying you. Uh, Lord, thank you for meeting us here today. Thank you for for not leaving us nor forsaking us. Thank you for for being our Father. Thank you for adopting us into your family. Well, what a great privilege it's been to read through Genesis. And I am so excited because I, I feel like I have, I'm growing to understand your character more and more through, through every Sunday that we study through the Word. So, Lord, would you make today similar? Would you, would you grow us closer to yourself? And give us an understanding, a better understanding of you, who you are, and and why we're here. And it's in Jesus' wonderful and holy name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, happy Father's Day. What What a wonderful day to celebrate. And I am always amazed at how God just sort of directs and guides things. So when, when we were looking through Genesis and trying to determine timing and placement of the different passages that he might have us before us, and, and uh, this was not one I would have anticipated being at for Father's Day. And yet the more I studied it, the more I realized that, that this passage, Genesis chapter 5, is really sort of the all-star list of fathers. And... And what a blessed thing it is to look at this. The genealogy from, from Adam to Noah is such an amazing genealogy to go through. There's so many things that are hard to understand. People living 900 years. Uh, people not having children until they're over 100 years old. And, and things that are, are sometimes hard to wrap our minds around. Because we live, we live right now in 2009. And, and people live to be 75 to 80 years old. Uh, if we hear of somebody that's over 100 years old, we're absolutely and utterly astounded by it. Uh, if we were to hear of somebody 100 years old that just gave birth, we would probably die of surprise. But yet, that's what this was time was about. This was a time different than what we live in. A time that, that looked different, was different. A time where God was setting things up for his kingdom. He, we, we've been going through and talking about the creation of Adam and Eve and how when he uses the word creation, he uses the word bara, which is out of nothing. He made it all out of nothing. He didn't take something that was there, spin it together till it got to the smallest point and then explode it out. No, he made it from nothing. And, and we're, we're going to look at this again. And the whole concept of chapter 5 is the book of generation. So we, we know what has happened. Adam and Eve were created. All the animals were created. And, and Adam and Eve sinned. They ate from the tree of which they were commanded not to. They hid from God. And, and then God kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. They went on to have children. Cain, then Abel. Cain and Abel had some difficulties. Cain wanted God to be happy with him, but he wasn't. There was some issue in Cain's heart. And God gave Cain every opportunity to come around that, and Cain refused to. And Cain killed Abel. 
But it was okay because, see, Abel wasn't God's plan for the Messiah anyways. Abel was just Cain's younger brother. Abel's existence was there to give Cain or Cain a chance to, to come to repentance before Christ. To, to listen to Christ and not sin. That's what Abel's job was. And, and, and Cain took Abel's life. And we saw the generations of Cain and what happened. And they, they and within seven generations were a total debacle with Lamech. And we're going to hear about another Lamech today, which is going to be a far different end result. And then Adam and Eve had another child and named him Seth. And, and from Seth, we now saw the line of the Messiah continued. The seed that was promised in Genesis chapter 3. So I've, I've put up here for the next slide is sort of a genealogy. And, and it's a little difficult to read, I'm sorry. But if you go to this website, creationscience.com, it's a really beautiful picture of the genealogy and color and all sorts of things. So if you look there, that will give you some idea. You're going to see this throughout the rest of the morning as we go through the different families and the different people. But let's start in chapter or chapter 5, verse 1. Verses 1 and 2 give us a background of what chapter 5 is about. So, so Moses was writing here, and he starts out in chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. So we're looking at the book now. This chapter 5 was the book. It wasn't just necessarily things that were verbally transmitted down the line, but this was actually something that was contained of the genealogy of Adam. This was something that was added to. And if you go to Luke chapter 3, you can see the fruition of this as it goes all the way through the line of Christ. It just does it backwards. It starts with Christ and goes back down to Adam. And, and it's an interesting thing to look at. But what do we see in these first two verses? What is, what is God trying to, to teach us? He's just going back and, and, and claiming a couple of things that are critical for us. Number one, he says it, that uh, in the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And again, this created is a bara, which is out of nothing. There was not something that he then used. It was out of nothing uh, that, that, that he then went on. And, and we see this in Genesis chapter 126 when, when God said, when the triune God was talking God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And 127, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. What a beautiful picture. So God, out of nothing, made Adam and Eve. And then he gave them dominion. What was one of the ways he gave them dominion over the animals? He brought the animals before Adam to name. That showed a dominion, that change. It showed an ownership that, that the animals now lived underneath the dominion of Adam because he named them. This is really important because as we get into verse 2, we're going to see that God claimed the same dominion over us, over man by naming us. It's beautiful to know that God made us not in some abstract form or some abstract thought, but but be, according to his likeness, according to the, the character of God, he created you. So he started with Adam and Eve, but he, did, he hasn't stopped yet. He's still doing it. He's still in the wombs of the mothers. He is creating babies in his likeness that might grow up. 
And that's why one of the things we celebrate today, right, is Father's Day. It's hard to be a father without children. So God created us as husband and wife to have children, and yet He is molding those children fearfully and wonderfully in their mother's womb in His image, with His character. What a beautiful picture that is. What a great concept. How sad it is to take that beautiful character of God and fill it with rubbish and garbage and sin and desperation. But that vessel's still there and it's always ready for God to take it and transform it so that the image that he that we share of him just blindingly goes out into the world in front of us, behind us, around us, everywhere because it just exudes from us. And he created them male and female and he blessed them. There's a distinction. From the very beginning, God said there will be male, masculine, there will be female, feminine. That's my plan. It's not by accident. It didn't just happen to work out that way. Oh, look at that. I got one of each kind. No, it was on purpose. He purposefully did it. But this is what I think is the most beautiful part of these two verses. He blessed them and he named them. He named them man in the day where they are created. Now, that throws some people off. What do you mean he named them man? He just got done saying he made them male and female, but then he named a man. Well, it's because we don't look at the word for what it really says. The word man actually was the same as the word Adam. So in some translations, you'll see he named them Adam. That's even more confusing. I thought it was Adam and Eve. Well, it's the concept of what that is, and it's a Hebrew word, Adon. And it means human being, person, or mankind. So when he named them Adam, in verse 2, or man, as it might say in some translation, what he's saying is he, he claimed them for his own. They're his. He's showing dominion over them. And through that dominion, he's putting his, he's putting his brand on us. Now, what's interesting is that God has all God desires for all to come to Him. God desires for all to bend their knee to Him. He desires for everyone to be with Him in heaven. But He knows some won't. He made us all with the capability to be there. But we just won't all be there. But here He's drawing us and He's saying, These are mine. You know, it's like when you go somewhere, you rarely will say to somebody, Those are some children. You'll say, Those are my children. Right? Some of you might not. I have at times questioned the thought, mostly for Graham. <laughs> but we don't, right? We say, those are my children. We identify them. No matter what, they are ours. We claim them just as God claimed us. What a beautiful picture as he starts now. So he lays a foundation. Here it is. Out of nothing I made Adam and Eve. I call them mine. And let me tell you a bit about them. And that's what we're going to learn now as we move on. So let's look at these guys. This list of fathers. Now, we all know there were mothers associated with this. We all understand that God used these women mightily. But he chose to give us a glimpse using the father's and son's name. Now, we know there are other children as well in these families. But God chose to give us this list because he's drawing a line. A line from Adam 
to Noah. And then as we continue on, we're going to see that that line continued on all the way through to Christ. That's the beauty of this picture. So what do we know about Adam? Well, we know that Adam was the father of Cain and Abel. We know Cain was older than Abel. We don't know when they were born. doesn't tell us that. We do know that it was sometime before Adam was 130 years old because that's when Seth was born. So we're presuming that, that, that Cain and Abel were born before then. It's quite possible there were daughters born before then too. There's possible that there were other children. But really what we have is the fact that it's likely that it was Cain, Abel, and then Seth. And if we look at these in verses 3 through 5, when Adam had lived 130 years, he became a father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Huh, so what does that mean Seth looks like? Seth looks like God, because Adam was created in God's image, and this is handed down generation after generation after generation. So when you look in the mirror, you know that you are made in the likeness of Christ. We continued that on. It wasn't, didn't look like somebody else. It looked like God. Then the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. So Adam's at the top of this list if you look at this. And what I think is really important is to recognize that, uh, that up through this line that I show here of Lamech, uh, just before Noah... All of those guys were alive when Adam was alive. That's pretty astounding. These guys knew the great, 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 great grandfather, Adam. Presumably, they had the possibility of sitting down with him, talking to him. What do we see here that's unique? In verse 5, we see the first mention of of somebody dying of a natural cause. Right? We've gone through four chapters of Genesis. We see that Abel was slain, but Adam is the first one that we talk about that has died. Did we know Adam was going to die? Yeah, because if we go back to Genesis 2.17, God told them that. But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. See, there was room for Adam to live forever. But because they disobeyed, they brought upon the fruition of that verse. And now at 930 years old, Adam died. First one of natural causes. Well, let's look at Seth. We talked about Seth the last couple of weeks. Seth was the third son mentioned. From Adam and Eve. Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and then he died. So we're tracing the line Adam to Seth to Enosh. We know that when Enosh was born, men began to either call upon the name of the Lord or be called by the name of the Lord. There's some, there's some potential for either of those translations to be accurate. Either way, there's not a distinct difference between the two of them. It really does say the same thing. People either calling upon or begging or pleading from the Lord or acknowledging that God is indeed their, their creator 
and, and they come underneath him. Either way, it really gets us to the same point. But what a great perspective. So there was something then when, when Adam was now 235 years old. He'd been around 235 years. There's now a distinction or a change that we see at the end of chapter 4 where men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. So we're starting to see now this line come to fruition. So Adam to Seth to Enosh. When Enosh is born, men start to acknowledge God. Why not before? What did they do before? Did they worship? It's not clear. But we know that as of of the birth of Enosh, they did. And then Enosh lived 90 years before his first son was born. So Kenan, Enosh lived 90 years and became the father of Kenan. Then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Kenan, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. You notice some similarities here? They get old, they have a kid, they have more kids, they get older, they die. They do the same thing, every one. It's interesting as we as we look at these guys and see what's going on here. Again, uh, Enosh was a father of Kenan, other sons and daughters. Ninety years old when he was born, lived to nine hundred and five years. When I first started reading this, I thought, "There's a pile of names on this list. There's there's Adam, Seth. Uh, you know, we hear hear a fair amount about Adam and Seth. We hear a little bit about Enosh, but Kenan, uh, Mahalalel, Jared." Uh, Boy, just not very much about these guys. And I almost got to thinking, well, you know, why are they there? What's the importance of that? And it dawned on me that, you know, these guys were specifically chosen by God to continue the seed of the Messiah. These guys were really critically important in Christ coming. Because, you see, they had to do the right things. They had to follow God's plan for their family. They, they had to follow God's plan when he said they needed to get married. They had to follow God's plan when he said they needed to have children. They had to follow God's plan when they had to raise up these children in a way that would be honoring and following of God because these, their lines were absolutely critical in the Messiah. You see, there, there wasn't a plan B. We have to remember that. There's not a plan B in the Bible. God knew man would sin. So before he even created him, he had plan A. Plan A was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ could only happen if plan A worked. Plan A meant that folks like Kenan had to do the things that God had designed for them to do. Had to follow them. What a beautiful picture of that. So we know that Kenan had a difficult time naming his children in ways that I could easily pronounce. Everybody else did reasonably well, but Mahalala and the other sons and daughters. He was born when Kenan was 70 years old and he died when he was 910 years old. Kenan is interesting. If you go to Luke chapter 3, is referred to as Canaan. Cain, C-A-I-N-A-N. So I'm not sure where that comes. I couldn't come up with an answer for that. But a little bit of a difference in the spelling. It's all said the same. I'm wondering if it's not a Greek-Hebrew thing that, that gets us in that one. We don't know very much about 
Mahalalel, other than he was a father of Jared, had other sons and daughters. Jared was born when Mahalalel was 65 years old, and Mahalalel died when he was 895 years old. We're seeing these guys actually get going a little bit earlier in their fatherhood. You know, it's coming down from 130 years, now only to 65. How, can you imagine starting at 65? I guess if you knew that it was likely you were going to live to 900. But, you know, you really wouldn't know that when you think about it. Because when uh, Mahalala was born, uh, let's see, it, it was only, mankind had only been around less than 400 years. These guys must have thought that you just never were going to die. I mean, when you think about it, it wasn't until, let's see, actually just before Noah, Methuselah was the first one to see the patriarch, one of the patriarchs die. Up until this time, they just hung around. Stuck around. What, a, what an amazing thing it must have been to see that. Jared, again, we don't know very much. The same story with Jared. Father of Enoch and other sons and daughters. Enoch was born when Jared was 162 years old. Jared died when he was 962 years old. That's all we really hear about him. But Enoch was something special. Let's talk, spend a little bit more time on Enoch. So Enoch we see in verses 21 through 24. Enoch was born and, and he was the father of Methuselah. I think it's important to read this. And Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. When Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And we expect to see, and he died. But we don't. We got used to seeing that. But instead it says, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him. So what happened with Enoch? Well, Enoch was a relatively young father. And he, you know, Methuselah was born when he was 65 years old. It's interesting, in one of the commentaries I read... They said, you, you know, we don't get a lot about Enoch. We get a little bit. We get a bit here. We get some in Jude and some in Hebrews. But, but by and large, we don't have a big picture of him. But one of the concepts of one of the commentaries was, you know, the way, the way this is written is that he, he walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. It was as if Enoch was maybe not really following the plan for the first 65 years of his life. Maybe there was something else that, that happened. So maybe when Methuselah was born, God had a visit with Enoch and shared with Enoch the importance of Methuselah. And from that point, we know that Enoch walked with the Lord. We see this only of two people in the Bible, in the Old Testament at least, Enoch and Noah. They are described as being men who walk with the Lord. And it's different than just walking by the way of the Lord. These guys had a special relationship with God. So special, in fact, that, that 365 years after his birth, Enoch was, was moved from here to heaven without dying. He was translated is the nice word that they put out there. He was translated from the earth to heaven without going through death. The only other one we know that did that was Elijah. 
And we know Elijah was translated as well. A chariot of fire came down and got him. I wonder what got Enoch. That would have been fun. I suspect it was far less dramatic because I really think with Enoch, it really sums it up as we look at it in verse 24. And he walked with God and he was not. It was as if he was there, he was gone. There was nothing special. He just wasn't there anymore. And, and what, a, what an incredible thing. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being there and he's just gone? Can you imagine being Enoch? It really probably wasn't any different. He was already walking with God. He was just walking with God on earth. It was no different. He just moved to another town. For Enoch, he was so connected with God, it didn't probably make that much difference. What else do we know about Enoch? In Hebrews 11:5, it says, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Wouldn't you like to see that written about you someday? Wouldn't you love to see that when somebody's doing the continuation of the genealogy and it includes your name and it says he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. What he did pleased God. We see more about Enoch and Jude 14 through 16. So Jude's writing to people, writing to the church about people that are infiltrating the church. These are, these are unbelievers. These are people that are deceivers that are infiltrating the church. So that's what the letter of Jude's about, and he's referring to that. And it was about also these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way. And all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Wow, I don't think I want to be one of those people. It's not a good plan because we know what's going to happen. This is speaking of the judgment of the second coming. Some people get confused and think this was talking about the flood. Well, this makes sense. Enoch was before the flood. The flood wasn't many generations after him. But it's really not at all. It's talking about the second coming. And, and there were problems, right? So we know that by the time of Enoch, there was depravity on the earth again. Well, there was depravity from the moment Adam and Eve sinned. The depravity was going to change in Noah. But the depravity was growing. So Enoch was seeing these guys as well. But when he prophesied here, or what was spoken in Jude, we know that he did it not about the upcoming flood, but rather with regards to the second coming of Christ. It had to, to break this line of men's hearts to see where the world was on its way to. You see, it's, we don't live in any special times. Right? We, we see the same things that man has kind has gone through for generations. We see depravity, we see sinfulness, we see debauchery, all of these things. We see the infiltration of people into the body. Nothing's changed. The only difference is God chose not to bring another flood to get rid of it. But he's coming back and in his second coming, it will make the flood seem relatively tame, I think. 
I think that the second coming of Christ is going to point out these changes in a far more dramatic way than those people banging on the side of the ark saying, hey, we were wrong, we want in, we're sorry to make fun of you for building this for the last hundred and some years. But it's going to be a different thing. The beauty is to know that regardless, God has a plan. There's a plan for people around us that don't know Him. It's called us. We're the continuation. We need to be purposeful about this. We need to think like these men thought. What about Methuselah? Methuselah, in verses 25 through 27, we know he was born when Enoch was 65 years old. He was 187 years old before he had his uh, Lamech. There, I've seen different translations of Methuselah's name, and, and I can't come up with one that's absolute. Uh, one of them talks about a, a man named Morris claims it. It says, it translates to, when he is dead, it shall be sent. It makes some sense because the flood came right after Methuselah died. Uh, there's some others, a point of a dart, not sure. We don't know a lot about Methuselah. We know that he, gave, that he was the father of Lamech. And, and we know that he lived 969 years, which is the longest recorded time of anybody. Uh, we, we also know that, that there is mention of Methuselah from, from other areas of, of the Bible when it talks about Christ being a priest of the order of Methuselah. Uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Matilda got that wrong, sorry. But we don't know a ton about him, but we do know he died just before the flood. But he's the father of Lamech, and Lamech was, again, a man after God's own heart. He's a father of Noah, Lamech in verses 28 through 21, and he lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah, saying, This one shall give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. He waited a long time for Noah. Lamech and Noah both waited over 500 years before we see the, the children that were going to carry on the line born. That has to be really astounding. Even in their time to think that they were, they were that far into their life before the children were born is, is quite difficult. So what about Noah with here? And what was Lamech thinking about here? I mean, it must have been a challenging time because we know that the debauchery was growing, growing, growing. So even though we saw challenges with the previous folks, we saw this even more. And, and it's even growing more. And Lamech was, was crying out to God here. And, and, when, and when Noah was born, he called him Noah, saying, This is the one who will give us rest from our work. Now, it's, it's interesting because, you see, Noah wasn't the one to give rest from the work. Noah was the next in the line. And things were going on. But we know Noah was very important. We know it was very, very critical for Noah to be born and to be found 
blameless and or to be found righteous in the sight of God because what else would have happened? We'd be in real trouble. We know God was willing to keep the world going for 10 people. But we needed those 10 people to be there. These guys were plan A. This wasn't plan B. This was the plan. All along, God was counting on these men following his guidance, allowing him to direct their path, right? They're going to choose what they wanted to do. And we have some reason to believe that Enoch, perhaps, was not going right where he needed to be. There was something that happened when Methuselah was born. And when Methuselah was born, Enoch got right on the track that he needed to be on. And he prophesied. He, he proclaimed the name of God and, and he told people about what was coming at the second coming of Christ. Who, the Mechir, it must have been heart-wrenching to see the world becoming what it was. It was difficult. I mean, we know that, that there were problems because of being kicked out of the garden. It was going to be work. It was going to be difficult to work. We get confused thinking work came after the fall. Work came with creation. God talks clearly about Adam working in the garden. And that's not a bad thing. There was nothing negative about it. It was a, it was an, it was a plan. But work became hard. You had to work harder. The ground didn't produce as much as it used to produce after the fall. So it was difficult. These guys were toiling. They're toiling for hundreds of years. They're tired. They're looking forward. You see, they understand the concept of the coming Messiah. It's clear to them. They get to talk to Adam about it. They sit down with great, 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 great grandpa Adam and say, tell us again the story of the promise that the seed is going to crush the serpent. Tell us again about that. We're so looking forward to that. Make it come soon. The world's a debacle. Let's have it now. That's what we should be about. We so often get so comfortable where we are. We're so happy with where we are. We've got much. We aren't yearning for the end to come because we've got enough to get by. We're doing okay. We can shelter ourselves sometimes from the debacle of the world. We build these fences around us and keep ourselves in and the world out. Lamech was looking for the Messiah. He was wrong in thinking it was Noah. But Noah was to deliver mankind from this time. He just wasn't the Messiah. So he looked forward. He said, yeah, this one. He'll give us rest from our work. This is the rest we talk about in, 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 as we get into Revelation. The rest where, where we're now in God's fold in heaven. But he just got it wrong. But Noah was a man that we needed him to be when he was born. And we hear very little about Noah here. We know he was 500 years old and he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, this is actually in reverse order. He really became the father of Japheth, Ham, and Shem. I don't know why it changed it here. That will become more important as we move on and look at Genesis chapter 6. So what does that all do for us? You know, where, where are we going with this? And I was thinking about 
You know, this is where God was, was going to take this message as I was studying through it. And recognize he really gave us a wonderful picture of what we are to be like. You see, sometimes I think we get caught up in the fact that we want books written about us. Not three verses. Jared, Kenan, they got three verses in the Bible. They were absolutely critical in the line of the Messiah. Sometimes I think we want lots of accolades as fathers. May, may it be that we see something like what was written of Enoch. He pleased God. Period. That's enough. So what does it look like as fathers? You know, Father's Day and Mother's Day can be challenging days. We talk about it all the time. Sometimes our fathers and mothers were not role models that we would want to follow. Sometimes there were challenges and issues. So we can't, we can't go back and change that. We can look at where we are now. So you guys out there, what kind of father do you want to be? When it's all said and done, what do you want to see written about you? What would you like for God to say to you when you approach Him? The well done, my good and faithful servant. If I were to write about you in the Word, it would say, I was pleased with you. You lived your life in such a way that your children and those around you saw the bountiful blessings of God. You shined my light in the darkness of every corner that you went to. What about the genealogy? So I, I put a genealogy there. You know, I got Adam to Noah. I'll leave a little spots because there's too many names. Christ, spots, your dad, you, your kids, grandkids. Do you realize that one way or another, your father is responsible for you being right where you are right now? You may not have had a father that that had a relationship with Jesus Christ. But your father somehow instilled something into you that allowed you, if you have bent your knee to Jesus Christ, to do it. It's all in the line. It's in the perfect line. There are all sorts of blemishes in that line leading up to Christ. There are things that you look at and you go... God, why did you allow that? Why did you allow these people to do these things in your name? But, but he did it to bring glory to himself to say, I can use anyone. What has your response as a child been to your father, little f, or father, big f? For those of you whose father, the human father, wasn't the father that you would have loved to have had. Wasn't the father that, that, that encouraged you. Wasn't the father that, that lifted you up and said, you know you've got a father with a capital F in heaven. In Psalm 68.5, we says, a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. We are the most blessed people because we're the continuation of the line. We read from Adam to Noah today. The line continued through Christ. 
And because those who have bent their knee to him, those who have accepted Christ as their savior, we are now adopted into God's family. So we become part of the family line. I mean, it's easy to know that we all can trace our line back to Noah, right? Can you all trace your line back to Noah? There was going to be some significant gaps, perhaps. But bottom line is, you know, that's where we go to. And before that, to Adam, it's very clear. The question is, what will it look like going forward? We can look back a lot, but what are you doing, men, in your son's lives? What are you doing to carry on like Enoch and Jared and Kenan? What is it going to look like? And if you haven't yet, when you get home, call your dad and thank him because one way or the other, he was very responsible for you being where you are today. For better, or what may have seen for worse. Either way, it has guided you onto the path that you're on. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving me a chance to look at these giants of the faith. To see these men who, who you have used mightily to carry on your family. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, would you help us as men to be the men we need to be to carry on for future generations? We know Jesus is coming back and the next time will be the end. Lord, help us to be active and earnestly seeking lives that need you to change them and to shine you into those lives. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.